1: Well, hello listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today, which is September 8th, 2016. We have a really great guest today. His name is Jerry Jeremy Walker, and we're going to be talking about how to break addictions. We all either know someone that has an addiction or perhaps we've had some ourselves in our lifetime. And it can be quite complex, but he's going to break it down so that we will all have the skill sets to work on that. His background is in hypno, hypno, hypnotherapy, and he operates in Brisbane, Australia. So his background is in that as well as psychosomatic therapy and Martini method, which we'll get into a little later, because I don't even know what that is. He started practicing as a therapist in 2010 and he's worked with pretty much over 800 clients which are usually one-on-one sessions and he really focuses on helping people with addictions such as weight and then weight loss, and sleep problems, and psychosomatic health issues. He's really passionate about helping people and that's why he's on our show today. So, let's bring him on now. Hello Jeremy from Australia.
2: <laughs> that's right yes uh, hello Denise, and hello to all your listeners I hope you're having a really great day
1: great we're going to have a wonderful time today I'd like to st- start the show out by asking you how you got on the path that you're on today was there any particular event that happened or you know what made you want to do this
0: Yeah,
2: so for me, I wouldn't say there was a a particular event. Um, For the first 20 years of my life, there wasn't much um, interest in personal growth or much interest in spiritual type things. And then I met a a wonderful woman who kind of introduced me to my emotions and um, into, I guess, everything that I was capable of. And um, over the past 11 or 12 years, it's just been um, really constant growth since then. Um, so from about 2007 mm. onwards i really started getting into a lot of self-learning i was reading about 100 150 books a year and then when i moved to brisbane seven years ago i just started mind body therapies and i realized that's what i needed and, and wanted to do and started getting into yes that's mind body um, practices of an nlp and hypnotherapy and i just knew that that was what i was i was drawn to and i always wondered you know When someone says they want to do something, but then we have that inner conflict, that's um, some of the things I love to help people with.
1: Why don't you explain to us what hypnotherapy is? Yeah, so
2: hypnotherapy is a state of mind um, where our brain waves slow down a little bit, or another way to put it, our conscious mind, the, the chatter starts to slow down. So similar to when we're in a meditation, We're also similar to when we're halfway asleep. It's a really similar feeling to that. And the goal of that is where we can make a a change that's a lot more natural, um, something that is a little bit easier, and again, helping to resolve those inner conflicts where we can.
1: And how does that work?
2: Yeah, so um, there's the the trance part of the hypnotherapy where the client will usually Um, sit down or lie down, and there's a a relaxation process. Um, Upwards of 95% of people can go into a hypnosis-type trance as long as it's something they want to do. Um, Also, as long as someone's not on certain um, mental health medications and these sort of things, and then we go through a process and um, really how the hypnotherapy works is to help us to feel like something is a truth for us. Um, where the conscious mind doesn't get in the way. I know like our conscious mind, we can have doubts and we can have fears and we can have worries. So in hypnotherapy, when the, the new suggestions are given, it just feels like it's a part of us instead of our own mind getting in the way there.
1: So you're tapping into the subconscious mind.
2: Uh, absolutely. So the subconscious mind controls our bodily functions and pretty much all of our habits so from our breathing rate to our blinking rates the emotional responses we have come from the subconscious as well so i always feel like if we've got a problem that exists in the subconscious we want to work at the same level that the problem exists and i'm sure a lot of your listeners would have the experience of trying to use willpower to try and change something like we can't wheel anxiety or depression, or addictions away. Um, it's something we have to work on at a deeper level if we want to have those long-term results.
1: Mhm. And I believe that the subconscious mind is active 95% of the time and our conscious mind is about
2: 5%. Um, I'd probably be more likely to suggest the subconscious mind would be active 100% of the time. Um, Because again, who's controlling our heart rate when we're not, or um, who's making sure that our body's safe while we're sleeping, and these sort of things? Um, Mm -hmm. I'd say, yeah, there's probably we probably use our conscious mind five to ten percent of the time, but I'd probably suggest the subconscious mind is always doing work behind the scenes. Yeah.
1: Mm, Powerful. Really powerful. So when we when we talk about um, your other methods, what is the is it called the Martini method?
2: The Martini method, yes. Um, so that was founded by what, Dr. John Martini, who from uh huh yeah, from Texas originally. Um the Martini method helps to really helps people really to see the balance of life. Um, so if there was a, a feeling of Um, us feeling really high about something, and that could be higher from an addiction or even from a person, you know, and we we get infatuated with someone. The Martini method would go in and just help us to see the other side. So if I met a new guy or met a new girl and I thought they were beautiful and so intelligent and and so amazing and so charismatic, after six months, that's usually not the case. You know, life tends to show Mm -hmm. us the balance. So the DMIT mm-hmm. method will go in and actually help us to see that right from the start. We meet a person, let's look at the legitimate downsides and the legitimate benefits right there at the start. And that's the same thing I do with addictions and compulsive habits as well. Let's go in and sort of remove guilt and remove the highs and just look at things for how they really are. That way we can have a lot more of a balanced perspective and not have something run our mind where we're actually in control of our mind. Hopefully that um. Partly answers the question.
1: Well, well in the Martini method, is that also a form of hypnosis?
2: No. So the, the hypnotherapy usually helps people to make change at the subconscious level but without the conscious awareness. The Demartini method will usually bring things to our conscious awareness. Um, yes. Yeah, so we're more aware of what is happening. So they're, they're complementary, but they actually work in a little bit opposite ways.
1: And and how so how do you that perform is, that is, yeah, method?
2: Totally conscious.
1: How do you perform yeah,
2: so that, that method? That's a, so that's got a, a predetermined series of questions. Um, so an example of that might be: Let's say if someone did have a habit or an addiction they were struggling with, and most people have the feeling that there might be, this is a bad addiction, um, have some guilt about it, but if an addiction was all bad. People wouldn't do it. And so one of the first questions I would ask is, you know, how is that addiction actually serving your life right now or what are the benefits of that? So by doing that, we can see the positive intention behind the behaviour and this is definitely one of the, the things I recommend for all people. Is kind of look at right from the start, what's the purpose of this addiction? What's the secondary gains or the benefits I'm getting from it? And from that position, we can start to look for, from, uh, look for some alternatives and that can make a big difference. Instead of us just saying, this is bad, you should stop now, ask, what do you love about that addiction? And then, can we get that feeling from a healthy source? And I've found in pretty much 100% of cases, we can always get that feeling or that need met from a healthy source.
1: What What would you consider a healthy source?
2: Yeah, so some healthy sources could be exercise. I I feel really good when I exercise Um, spiritual practices. So things like meditation, um, yoga. Um, You hear about quite regularly people having amazing highs from doing yoga and doing exercise. Um, So I certainly experienced that myself. And I had tried probably about 15 different types of drugs or addictions myself. And what I get now from my work and Serving people, exercise, hypnosis, and meditation um, is easily equal to anything an addiction gave me before and there's no downside now. There's not the big crashes and Mm -hmm. the big lows and and those relationship problems that happen from addiction. So it comes from the healthy source and satisfies the need in a way where, um, yeah, I guess the need's being met, but it also feels good as well.
1: So in practice, let's say that somebody... Is trying to break up with someone, but they're kind of addicted to them. What what could they do that could change that? Um, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of psychological components to it, so I'm not sure a healthy source of exercising or meditation or yoga would help. Or do you disagree with that?
2: Um, so this was if we were trying to break up with a person. Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah. yeah so but but I'd, I'd you
2: probably were have a look kind of addicted we, to them. It... Yeah, yeah, so I'd probably have a look at um, just asking ourselves legitimately um, where is this person You know, not serving my life right now? What are the legitimate downsides? And you know, if they are really attractive, do they take a long time to get ready? Or does that cause us them to get unwanted attention from the opposite sex, which makes us feel uncomfortable. So for every pleasure, there's also like a pain or a negative there as well. If they're really smart and we admire that, are they a bit of a know-it-all? And that kind of annoys us, you know, and those sort of things.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: They're just starting Mm -hmm. to have a look, looking for legitimate things and not not fake things. Where is that person actually, they're not as great as I'm pretending they are. And a lot of fear comes in life from us thinking that we're going to have the perfect partner or the perfect life and the perfect house and the perfect career. And then when that gets taken away from us, we're afraid of losing that. So if we have a more balanced perspective right from the start, um, we don't necessarily have as much fear in life as well, which can be a great side effect too.
1: Hmm. Interesting, really interesting. What What do you consider an addiction? Um, so I'd
2: probably say an addiction is anything we feel really compelled and magnetised to um, that is also unhealthy. Um, so something that's hard to say no to, something that feels like it's out of control, and any behaviour where there mm-hmm. would be guilt or shame, um, that would be a strong indicator that it's an addictive type um, behaviour as well.
1: Hmm, interesting. Well, there must be a lot of different types of them.
2: Yeah, and and these could range from anything from um, cigarettes to drugs to shopping addictions where we we feel really special in one of those high-end shops, um, to a cocaine user who might feel like they're invincible, um, to gambling and the poker machines, um certainly codependent type relationships or addictive relationships like you mentioned before so it can come in a lot of different mm-hmm. forms not just say a substance or a drug but also yeah like a gambling type thing or a person anything that we feel like we're magnetized to that it feels out of control
1: so with the different methods that you use how do you decide which one is the best for your client
2: it's a little bit of a tricky question, but I'll see if I can answer that. Um, so if someone already has a really balanced perspective around their addiction, like they can, they're aware of the downsides and they're aware of the positive or the positive intention behind the behavior, such as it allows me to socialize easier with people or gives me a feeling of connection. If they already have that awareness, I might use the hypnosis initially, but if that awareness isn't there, it might be really useful just to help them to see the other side. Because um, I like to think the idea is that I don't take away anyone's addiction, but I give them just a really balanced perspective and help them to become empowered to make the choice themselves. So I like the idea yeah. if we're doing something that isn't quite so healthy, be empowered in that, you know, like be an empowered smoker or be an empowered non-smoker, but don't be like a disempowered either way. So really focus on, on the empowerment side of things.
1: Interesting.
2: Uh, I. And I'll give you a, a quick example of that. If, oh. oh, good. Okay. Yeah, I'll give you a quick example of that. So, say if I decided I did want to go and do some gambling, I might be empowered in that decision and decide, here's forty dollars. I'm going to go and spend that in a way where I'm consciously doing it, not doing it to try and ease a pain or following a compulsion. And if I again, if I wanted uh-huh. to have a uh, a big dessert, a big you know, some chocolate or something really tasty. I do that from a point of view that, that it is from an empowered state. Yes, I'm consciously deciding to do it, but again, not doing it from I'm seeking a big high or trying to avoid some pain, but yeah, from a, a more balanced point of view.
1: Yeah, so, so they're conscious decisions.
2: Yeah, I, I absolutely, and I'm, I'm really big on that and Kind of asking ourselves, what's the purpose behind that behaviour? Is it to, yeah, to mm-hmm. have a good time, or is it something where we're actually trying to avoid emotional issues? And and then the case might be, you know, how else can I actually deal with things in a, a more effective way? Yeah.
1: So you teach people to ask themselves that question before they get out the front door. Um, again, everybody's a little they, bit if different. If they have this, uh
2: huh. Yeah. So People, it it might not be necessary. They might just already be kind of ready to go, you could say. Um, But for other people, certainly, if there's that feeling of, I don't know why I do this, like, I don't know why I comfort food or I don't know why I smoke a cigarette. Asking ourselves right at that moment when we feel that craving, what am I really looking for right now? And some examples of things we might be looking for is um, a way to relieve boredom, if we're feeling lonely, if we're feeling upset, if we're feeling stressed, if we're feeling like life's out of control and that, that thing that we can control is that one thing. So that might be something we don't want to let go of. So you are really starting to get in touch with the purpose behind behind what we do, yes.
1: Hmm. What are the impacts of addictions and compulsive behavior?
2: Yeah, the, the impacts can be many, um, certainly around physical health, um, financial loss, um, certainly relationships or family breakdowns. Um, but also a really strong one is the mental energy it takes to keep some of these things going. If it's something we feel like we're, we're hiding a certain behaviour, you know, having that liquor bottle in the, the top cabinet where no one can see it, or you know, having to smoke <laughs> and hide these sort of things. And just the uh-huh. mental energy it takes either keep people out of the loop um, to hide it now and that mental energy of kind of doing something we don't want to do and managing that in a conflict the stress Mm -hmm. relief that can that can happen um, by giving them up can be immense just that feeling of the weight off the shoulders or clarity of mind when when we can finally let that go and there was something I discovered a bit over four years ago which is the thing we think we need is the thing that's holding us back. So I'll give you a couple of examples around that. Um, So let's say um, if I was a a cigarette smoker and I was smoking to relieve some stress and anxiety, and that became my primary way to deal with that emotion, it actually ends up causing more stress than it relieves. So we might have the stress of worrying about our health, the stress of where I can smoke and people judging us. I'm not sure if you get a, a lot of that in America, but in Australia, Um, A lot of people talk about, I feel so judged being a smoker. There's this feeling of them being put in the corner by myself and um, people having to stress about lining up and the stress about going on a plane and these sort of things. And I've discovered that the problem we're trying to solve with an unhealthy habit or addiction actually causes that problem. Um, Comfort food eating or emotional eating would be another perfect example of that. We might have some chocolate to give ourselves some comfort, and then we feel really uncomfortable in our body afterwards we might have some bloating mm-hmm. or have a disrupted sleep or then feel uncomfortable about um, possible weight gain as well so the thing we look for from addiction quite often is actually causing the problem that we're trying to solve which you ends up creating this circle of i guess you could say destruction or circle of things that aren't working for us
1: it's very true very true My personal um, opinion is that whatever addictions we may or may not be suffering from, you really have to want to stop them, want to change in your life. So it's hitting bottom before you change. What are your thoughts on that. Yeah,
2: that- yeah, certainly when we hit that rock bottom, if we have a really painful experience because of what's happened, that can be a really strong motivator. And I know sometimes we hear it said, cigarettes are harder to give up than heroin because heroin has big euphoria and bliss, but then really big crashes and downs. Whereas things like cigarettes or a bit of comfort eating or um, just mild alcohol drinking don't have that big a downside. So there's not as much pain or rock bottom to go through. Um, So certainly that rock bottom can be a big motivator um, in that process Mm -hmm. for sure, yeah.
1: So I assume the clients that come to you, you, you work with all kinds of different types of addictions. Is there any one that you've been more successful treating than another?
2: Yeah, so being a hypnotherapist, around half of the clients I see are coming in for quitting smoking. Um, the processes I use with hypnotherapy and the DMRT method actually have a 97% success rate in the last three years. Um, so that practice is really honed in and very specific. Um, but also things like alcohol, um, gambling, um, certainly with weight loss and emotional eating and overeating and those sort of things as well. They would be the, the main things at the moment.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's really interesting it's on the spot, the smoking. I mean, yeah, that's a 97% absolutely. success rate is, is wonderful.
2: And again, if, if we felt like all our needs were being met and um, all our social needs and we had ways to deal with stress and we were feeling healthy and we were exercising again and, and eating better and our mood was improving and our energy went up, I always like the idea what would we actually need a cigarette for? So, again, that thing we think we need is probably the thing that's actually holding us back. If we felt like we could go and talk to people socially and we could go and have a drink and pick up a new guy or pick up a new girl even more easily without a cigarette. Mm -hmm. Again, a craving is never a random event. Actually, and this is probably a really important point. A craving is never random. It's always for something. There's always a perceived benefit, either consciously or unconsciously, that we're actually looking for. Um, so that's what I got really passionate about is not just saying an addiction's bad, but finding out what they get from it, and then hey, let's now get that from an even better source. So you're going to be, I guess, getting even more of what you want without addiction. Yeah.
1: Mhm. Mhm. <clears throat> well, um, if we're going to talk about smoking, nicotine is is very addictive in itself, um, particularly getting it. Detox, you know, detoxifying it out of your body.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting one. Um, most, most of the people before they see me have that experience of trying to give up cold turkey or even using patches and other methods to quit and going through withdrawal symptoms. Um, I can't say exactly how it happens. But a good portion of the people I see have little to no cravings, mental or physical, from nicotine um, after a hypnosis treatment. Um, so again i don't know exactly how the body or the mind does that Um, whether it's the thought process is changing whether it's because their needs are met and if that craving is just not needed anymore the brain doesn't send that signal that's probably what does happen actually but yeah that exact process of how that happens is still a little bit of a mystery
1: can you um repeat that in a different way i kind of got lost in the translation
2: Sure, sure. It was probably my uh, hypnotic type language that kind of goes off in a little bit of a tangent. So some, a lot of people, no. when they come in to see me, do, do have the belief that there is, they have a nicotine problem and that nicotine withdrawal symptoms are a, a really hard part of quitting smoking. Um, but after the session, um, just through us having a chat on the hypnosis process and making sure their needs are being met, Many people don't have that nicotine craving, Um, so I certainly respect people who go through that process and it being really hard and and having the physical withdrawals, Um, but just to note that a lot of people actually don't have that experience. Um, yeah through going through some mental processes that that physical nicotine withdrawal doesn't seem to be there in a lot of cases. it's kind of my soft way of saying is nicotine really addictive or if our needs are satisfied does that actually take care of the craving and that just may not be there anymore so a little bit of a a belief shift there for, for some people hopefully Hello, Denise, can you still hear me? Hello, Denise, can you still hear me? Um, I actually can't hear you anymore. I'm not sure if you can hear me. Yes, yeah, so I lost sound from your end about 30 seconds ago. I'm not sure if you can hear me. Um, I can't hear you anymore at all. Hello, Denise. have you got me back? Hello, Denise. have you got me back at all yet? Well, I'll hang on the other end of the phone here for another minute or so, but um, yeah, I've got no sound coming from your end. I'm not sure if you can hear me at all. Hello, Denise, can you hear me?